Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Listen, if you have your Bibles, y'all grab them and uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. We will be there in a minute, so y'all don't get anxious. 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. While you're doing that, I'm just going to pray. Quickly, I know we prayed a lot. We're going to pray over the word. Father, would you uh, inhabit your word today in a way that, uh, that we can understand and not just understand but put into practice in our lives? Lord, would you change our minds, our hearts, and our lives today through your word in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. First Kings 19. You don't have to put it on the screens yet. It'll be just a minute before we get there. Um, the month of May is designated as Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, for decades of my life uh, and decades of ministry, I would have said that, hey, this is a worthy cause, but it has no place in the pulpit. Uh, and I have lived and learned enough to know now that I was ignorant. I was ignorant. Thank you for not saying amen. Um, I want to point out one thing that helped change my mind, and I hope it will do the same for you. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that the soul is made up of a person. A person's soul is made up of their, their mind, their will, and their emotions. How you think, how you feel, the decisions that you make are seated in, they're rooted in a person's soul. That's why it makes sense that Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The heart or the inner man or the soul are sort of used interchangeably in the word. And Jesus was recognizing that a person's actions and attitudes are determined by their thoughts. And that's not just a function of the brain. It's a function of the soul. It's a function of the soul. Mind, will, and emotions. What changed my mind about mental health uh, and spirituality is when I learned the definition of mental health. This is how it's defined by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Listen to this. It affects how we think, how we feel, and how we act. And it helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Did you hear that? Not the train. I mean the definition. <laughs> it, it affects how we think, how we feel, how we act. Mental health operates in the same domain, in the same space as the soul. So what I've come to realize is that mental health does belong in the pulpits of this world because you cannot be spiritually healthy and mentally unhealthy at the same time. So let me put it this way. Mental health and spiritual health are connected. Mental health and spiritual health are connected. Would you agree with me that our spiritual health is a function of our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our determination to live out the principles of Jesus? Would you agree with me that's spiritual health? 
If a person has a good relationship with God and their fellow man and is striving to live out their faith in tangible ways, that's a spiritually healthy person, right? Then how can you hope to, uh, to do that if your mental health has clouded the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act? A poor mental health can change the way you even perceive God much less relate to him. It changes the way you perceive and relate to other people as well. It, it'll change the decisions you make and how you live. So I'm going to say it again. Mental health and spiritual health are connected. If you ignore your mental health, don't expect to be spiritually healthy. Now, there are, times, there, there are a lot of ways when a person's mental health can be challenged. Um, sometimes it's a short-term thing like grief or stress. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's health-related, like a chemical imbalance or a reaction to medications. Sometimes it's biological because some forms of mental illness are hereditary. Sometimes it's situational, like PTSD or depression that's rooted in a history of abuse or neglect or a high-stress environment like military and law enforcement. It takes on a lot of forms, and it's impossible to name all of them. But among the more common ones that, uh, that people deal with, even people sitting in churches all over the world this week are depression, anxiety, fear, panic attacks, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, lots of others as well. And symptoms may include an inability to engage in everyday activities, like you, you self-isolate, loss of interest in things that you used to enjoy, excessive need or desire to sleep or to be alone, or perceiving situations differently than everybody else around you. Those are symptoms that could, that could be a cause of concern. Uh, one of the big indicators uh, is anger and rage especially at just the slightest provocation. If there's one thing, I want to talk to you gentlemen for a second. If there's one thing I've seen in men that indicates a need for concern, it's that many men operate their emotional, emotionally they only have two settings, off and ticked off. Either they're numb or they're angry. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the people around you. And you're, you may still be alive, but you are not living. All the things that I just mentioned uh, affect your relationships with God and with other people. Mental health challenges or mental illness is not uh, experienced in isolation. The people around you are affected by it as well. If people around you are concerned about you, Listen to them. Don't ignore it. Don't let pride stand in your way of receiving the help that you need. And if you care about those around you, then get yourself some help for them until you can love yourself enough to do it for you. So we're going we're gonna to look in the scriptures at one of the most um, frequently referenced passages when it comes to a discussion of mental health because it's, it's really just the most obvious. And we're going to look at some strategies that God used to help this man through this situation. 
Now, I want to say this before we get into the Word. Uh, one, of the, one of the forms of treatment that wasn't available then, that is available now, is medications. I know that medications for mental health is a touchy subject, but we're going to touchy it today. We believe that divine healing was provided in the atonement through the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ, right? And we believe that the blessing of healing is not limited to healing physical bodies. God can also touch and heal minds. But we also have no problems taking a Tylenol for a headache or Allegra for our allergies, right? I may have taken both today, come to think of it. Uh, so Somehow... We've decided that medications for mental health are in a different category than other medications. And I'm just here to say that's ridiculous. We've got preachers who are on insulin and blood pressure medications talking about the evils of taking antidepressants and psychotropics. And it just makes no sense whatsoever. It's no wonder uh, we've got a credibility problem with the world because of the connection between spirituality and and um, and spiritual health between mental health and, and spiritual health the church should be leading the charge and leading the discussion but we can't even get into the conversation because we got all this weirdness and inconsistency it's it's a it's an integrity problem and the world doesn't want anything to do with that so you say, well, what's the big deal if the world doesn't want, any, want to include us? Because there are people in our pews that are suffering every week. And they need to know that there is help and there is hope and there's understanding and there's acceptance and there's grace. But instead, we just ignore people or we tell them wonderful, encouraging things like, oh, just cheer up and count your blessings. You ever been standing around a depressed person when some, well, I can't say that in the pulpit, when some genius says, oh, just cheer up. What have you got to be depressed about? Right? Would you look at a diabetic and just tell him to quit being so sweet? Would you? Some of y'all are, well, no, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's the craziest thing you've ever heard. The brain is an organ, y'all. It's an organ. As a matter of fact, it's the most complex organ in the body. And it runs off a very delicate balance of water and enzymes and hormones and chemicals, all of which must be in perfect balance in order for it to function properly. Why is it so hard for us to believe that some people have behaviors or perceptions or attitudes that they can't just change with an act of their will because something else is going on? Valerie and I shared our story last year, and it's still out there on, on our YouTube channel if you want to see it. It was in May of last year. Um, we suffered for 25 years with a treatable condition. Because nobody in the church told us it was okay to get help. As a matter of fact, we sat under pastors who told us the opposite of that. And when we did get help, we waited four years before we ever told anybody about it. Because of the stigma associated with mental illness in this culture. So, please hear this pastor today. Mental illness is real. 
It's real. It's, and it's not a sin. And it doesn't mean you're demon-possessed. Mental illness is not only for weak people who just can't handle the stresses of life. It affects more people than you can even imagine, even good Christians, even good Christians in this church. And there's no shame in it. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. It's not your fault. But listen, it is your responsibility to get help. And hear me, if you need meds, take the stinking meds. And follow the plan that God, that God himself laid out for the prophet Elijah. All right, now here we are, 1 Kings 19. You're like, well, that was the longest introduction I have ever heard in my life. It's gotta, you got to understand that this is not going to make sense. Okay? 1 Kings 19, I'm reading 18, 18 verses. When Ahab got home, that's the king of Israel, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down, under, uh, he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken, down, broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain. Uh, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken, down, have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord told him, go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. 
Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town of, uh, I've never seen that before, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. The first thing I want you to see is that there was a triggering event. There was a triggering event. You hear people talk about someone and they say things like, oh, so this thing happened and they just went off the deep end. The reality is that thing is almost never the thing. And it's certainly never the only thing. It was, it, was not, it was not an overreaction to a singular event. It makes it easier to dismiss that way, but that's not what happened. The Bible said Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and that's true. The fear was the trigger, but it wasn't the, only, it wasn't the entire problem. He didn't just freak out about a death threat and go running into the wilderness with suicidal thoughts. The fear was the last straw. Y'all ever had that minute where you're like, okay, that's it, I'm done. It's just something small. None of y'all did? Yeah, y'all, oh, sorry. I'm in the perfect place this morning, I forgot. Yeah, you, like just that one thing, or sometimes you just get to that place, you're like, if one more thing happens, I'm done. That's what it was. Except Elijah was done. It, that fear was the catalyst for him. You, you know this by looking at what he said to God when God asked why he was there. He didn't say, did you hear what that mean old woman said to me? She's going to kill me and I'm scared to death. That's not what he said. What did he say? And I'm going to paraphrase this so hopefully you can hear, uh, hear what he's saying here. He said, I've, I've dedicated my entire life to the spiritual well-being of Israel. I've taken my life into my own hands by speaking truth to power, rebuking kings and queens for the evil that they've perpetrated against the Lord's people, and what good has it done? There's, there's idols everywhere. The people have forsaken you. They've ignored me. They've defiled the worship of your name. All the other prophets before me have been killed, and now apparently I'm next. That's what he said the problem was. Do you hear the difference? It's not just that his life was threatened. It's that he was looking back over the entirety of his life and ministry, and he wasn't impressed by the miracles he had performed. He wasn't impressed by the fact that he could just walk into the palace, into the king's throne room. All he had ever wanted was to see Israel turn their hearts back to the Lord, and that hadn't happened despite all of his efforts. This was a depression that had been building for years. A contributing factor is that the powerful sucker punch that he got from Jezebel came after this incredible high that he must have been on from the day before. So like read the 18th chapter. He had this showdown and it referenced it in one of the verses there, but he had this showdown with 850 idolatrous prophets. God had answered his prayer by fire from heaven. Then he executed all 850 of those prophets. He prayed that God would end a three and a half year drought. Then he outran a chariot on the way back to the city. And it was like, you know, Tuesday. 
that's, that's, that's amazing. It's incredible. They had to have been riding this high, this spiritual high, maybe thinking, I've finally made a dent in the idolatry of Israel. Maybe I've made some progress in turning the hearts and the minds of the people back to the Lord. And in the middle of that, he gets a death threat, a death threat from the queen. And it doesn't just bring him back down to earth. It doesn't just get him down. He comes crashing back down and his emotions and his mental stability shatter into a thousand pieces. And this is what I want you to see today. Sometimes it isn't just what hits you. It's when. When you're you're looking for it, you can be prepared for it. You can brace yourself. Elijah was on a spiritual high when this threat came. He didn't see it coming. And he just couldn't get his breath. And he couldn't, maybe even literally, and he couldn't get his feet up under him. It was his triggering event. Now here's the next thing. A concerning symptom or more than one symptom. Concerning symptom or symptoms. For Elijah, the most concerning symptom was his desire for his life to end. Elijah was never going to take a blade and end his life, but he sure was hoping God would do it for him. I know we're talking to to good church people today. Um, A lot of good church folks will never actively end their lives, but they do it passively. Suicidal thoughts can take many different forms. So I've known people who just quit taking care of themselves. They start eating things that they know they should not be eating. They stop taking their meds. They stop taking their insulin. All kinds of ways that you can passively take your own life. Even if you aren't actively seeking to do yourself harm, you need to be honest with yourself about your motives. If you're really hoping that your actions lead to a quicker demise, you need to talk to somebody. Today. For, for some, the concerning symptom might be an actual threat or a, a, a plan or an urge or an attempt to end their lives. For other people, it might be an angry, violent, or verbally abusive outburst. It might be days or even weeks or months of not being able to get out of bed or leave your house. Whatever it is, don't ignore it. And if you see it in a loved one... Do the brave thing and talk to them about it. And if it's severe enough, you might have to force the issue and call 911 or or just demand, tell them that you're taking them to the hospital. And you'll be scared to death. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because it's not going to get better on its own, not long term. The next things Elijah did Uh, were very much rooted in his body and the needs of his body. Uh, And you can't separate that. Just like you can't separate mental health and spiritual health, you also can't expect to neglect your physical needs and be mentally healthy. And so he did three things that we all need to do uh, anyway, but especially when we're struggling with something in our mental health. That's rest, eat well, and drink water. Sounds kind of simple, but have you ever been in one of those spots 
The last thing you want to do is rest, eat well, and drink water. And after he, so after he sat down and he admitted that he wanted to die, uh, Elijah laid down and slept for a long time. Sleep helps your body recover. It helps your mind reset. Don't neglect good sleep. And if you don't sleep well, that's something you need to talk to your doctor about as well. Because you will not, your health will not, mental or physical health is impacted by your inability to sleep. So Elijah slept for a long time. Then the angel woke him up and made him eat and drink. This is why I said this was God's plan. God sent an angel to make sure he did these things. It was God's idea. He provided him with top quality food. I mean, it was prepared by an angel, right? So when we're feeling stressed or we're scared or we got something going on, we're kind of tempted to eat emotionally. Any emotional eaters? Three. Fantastic. Um, It's okay sometimes to indulge your emotions and, and eat, you know, what sounds good to you. But you have to make sure that you eat good food that will actually help to regulate your body's chemistry. And you have to drink lots of water. Drink lots of water. The angel had this, remember he woke up and he didn't just have the bread there, but he had a jar of water. Stress, and he didn't carry a jar with him. He didn't have a canteen. The angel put a jar of water there. You have to drink lots of water. Stress and mental anguish will dehydrate you quicker than you expect it to. So you have to drink water way past the point that your thirst is quenched. All right? Remember what the good shepherd did in Psalm 23? Y'all remember the Psalm 23? It's not just for funerals. Okay? What did the good shepherd do? He led them to green pastures and still waters. Well, what is that? Rest, food, and water. And guess what the result was? It restored their soul, their mind, their will, and their emotions. Once Elijah got his physical needs met, then God took the next step with him, which is this, turn to God. Or Elijah took the step to turn to God. The natural tendency sometimes when we are having an issue is to turn away from God. We're having a difficulty. Even when we're caught in a sin, we try to run away from God, and that's the exact opposite of what we need to do. When we're having, a, especially a crisis of mental health, we, we should run to him, not away from him. What is it that he did? Elijah got up and he went to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It's the same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments. It's the mountain of covenant. It's, it's, it's indicating his, he's still got this relationship with God. He turned to him. So when we are facing an issue, a crisis in our lives, we need to turn to God as soon as you're physically able and mentally able to do it. Turn to him. Listen, don't confuse a disapproving church or a disapproving pastor with a disapproving God. They are not the same thing. God cares about you, all parts of you. He's concerned about your well-being, and he wants you to get better. This is his plan for you to get better. So don't, don't turn away from him in, in shame or embarrassment. Turn to him. Turn to him. Now, once Elijah uh, did all that and he got to the cave as God told him to, he spent, he spent another night, and then God, in, he initiated this next step. 
And this may be surprising to you, but the next step is therapy. It's therapy. You're thinking, therapy? God didn't send Elijah to a therapist, and you are absolutely correct. God did not send Elijah to a therapist. God was the therapist. You see, God wasn't confused, and he wasn't looking for information when he asked Elijah, what are you doing here? God knew what Elijah was doing there. He asked him twice, what are you doing here? The first question, I know this from personal experience, that a therapist is going to ask you when you go to a professional counselor is, why are you here? What brings you in to see me? What are you doing here, as God asked? You have to take ownership of whatever's going on in your life. If you cannot ever solve a problem that you don't admit you have in the first place. That's easy to see in other people. Way harder in yourself. You have to be able to identify it before you can get the help you need. You have to work through the denial and through the anger and through the defensiveness and all the layers that might be on top of the real problem. I told you it might not have been your fault, but it is your responsibility to own it so you can disown it. It's very important that you talk to somebody about what's going on in your life. It might not even be a licensed therapist to begin with. It might just be a trusted friend. But you have to talk to somebody. Admit that there's a problem. Admit there's fear. Admit that there's anger. Admit how out of control you feel. Why? Because it gets real when you say it out loud. But when you do, you just might find the strength and the support to do something about it. And the other thing is, sometimes you don't even know how you feel or what you think until you start talking about it. I've had many times in a therapeutic setting, professional and just casual friendship, that I didn't even, I've heard myself say things I didn't even know I thought or felt. It just came out my mouth. I was as surprised as anybody else in the room. God needed Elijah to start talking about what was going on with him. And he wants the same for you. If you need somebody to talk to professionally, I can make some recommendations. But you, you, you should be able to find one person in your life that you can trust to have a conversation with that will lead you down a journey uh, of healing. The next step is a tough one, and that is retrace retrace after they had had time to talk god told elijah go back home the same way you came here's what i've discovered personally and in 31 years of ministry you're never going to find healing for your hurts until you walk back through those things only this time you do it with the awareness that god is beside you you have to face the roots of your problems you have to face the struggles and the sources of those struggles. But now you've, got, now you've got rested and you've got hydrated and you've eaten and you've turned to God and you've talked with somebody. So now you have the strength to face those problems and not be overwhelmed by them. You're still going to be scared to death. Still going to be intimidated. But you've got the strength to do it if you'll just do it. Don't be afraid. God is with you. 
And he's helping you. And he's healing you as you go. Now here's the, here's the last step. And that is refocus. Refocus. Now, once he got Elijah on the right track, God gave him a spiritual task that he could handle. Uh, it wasn't overly demanding. He didn't send him back to Jezebel. With, hey, and here's another thing, lady. He didn't do anything crazy like that. God sent him on a journey that he could handle. If anything, it would help take the load off of Elijah as he kept going. You're never going to fulfill your spiritual purpose until you get mentally healthy. You're never going to fulfill your spiritual purpose until you get mentally healthy. Once you start that healing journey, you can start to regain your effectiveness and your intimacy spiritually. Now notice, please notice this. This is huge. God was not displeased with Elijah. It was after this that Elijah became one of the two, one of only two people Two humans that never died a natural death. Of course, Enoch was the other one. When God sent him on this little tour of anointing replacements, he wasn't, God wasn't punishing Elijah. He was preparing him. He had just come to the end of God's work for him in this world. It was time for a different prophetic voice to speak to Israel. Don't, don't think that having a mental health struggle disqualifies you from spiritual service. Some of the greatest evangelists in the in United States history struggled with severe depression. You are not disqualified because you struggle. That's a lie from the enemy to keep you on the sidelines. If anything, the fact that you've walked through some stuff gives you some street cred with people who are going through the same thing. Like, don't, come, don't come at me with your perfect life and tell me how to solve my problems. Right? But if you've been through a few things, I might listen to what you have to say. It's our scars. We keep covering up our scars. and We've got to quit. It's those scars that open the door to the conversations that we're supposed to be having with people. At no point was God frustrated or disappointed or finished with Elijah. He simply helped him walk a path to healing. So listen, for some, there's a path that will lead to complete and total healing. It'll be a season that you'll remember, but not one that you have to walk again. And praise God for that. For other people, it'll be something that you have to manage for a lifetime. Two visits to a therapist and a round of meds is not going to solve everybody's problem. For some people, even with the great care from professionals, their symptoms are never going to go completely away. You know what? Whether you get whether it's a season that you come through and never see again, or it's something that you manage the rest of your life, either way, it's okay. The key is to just make sure you're on the path and realize that God is on that path with you. His promise to never leave us and never forsake us is not negated by, by somebody's mental illness. The promise is still intact. His grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you're going through. But you got to lean into him as you walk down the road. 
Listen, I'm going to ask you to stand if you don't mind. I know this is a different kind of message. And no, I didn't warn you about it. I got out, we got out of the truck today and my son, my 15-year-old said, what are you preaching today? And I told him, he said, is this part of the taboo series? I said, well, it was last year when we talked about it. But I want people to know that this subject is no longer taboo in this church. We're going to talk about it. Because we experience, it's real. We have to talk about the real stuff. So no, it's not, tab- it's not a taboo subject for us. If it was for you, surprise. Now listen, I, I, I'm not going to give an altar call. Because that's just too much to ask people to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. Because responding to an altar call is not what you need to be doing. It's not the only thing you need to do if you're struggling. You need to have a hard conversation with somebody who's close to you in your life, and you need to ask for help, and you need to confess what's going on with you. There's a road that you need to start walking. Yes, I recognize it could start in the altar, but I also recognize the stigma that still that still permeates the atmosphere when you talk about mental illness. So no, I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle and raise your hand. But God knows what's going on with you, and you know what's going on with you, and you and God need to get together about this. And I can tell you from personal experience that you're going to be scared to death and it's going to feel like it's too much and it's too big and it's going to feel like it's better if you just don't talk about it and maybe it'll go away. Listen, it won't go away. So do the brave thing, do the faith-filled thing and step out and get the help that you need. Okay? And let me say this because we, we put all our messages out on podcast and, and, and all the things, whatever you, I don't remember what you call them anymore, YouTube and all, all the ways to, to share stuff. Um, don't just go send this to somebody who needs help. Pray first. Because the last thing somebody needs to think is that you think they're crazy. Yes, we use that word. That's what people feel like. And you just go, oh, hey, John just said some really cool things. I thought you might. You just popped to mind when he started preaching. Thanks. So pray about it. If God leads you to it, great. If he doesn't, don't. And just pray that God gets the truth to him whenever it's time. All right? Can we pray together? God, I thank you that you... um, that your word is not just a book for perfect people, but it's for, it's for real people who are living real lives in a really, really broken world. I thank you that your healing is not just for our physical bodies, but for our, uh, our mental health as well. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you would just help us. And, and I don't have any influence in any other churches or in any other communities or any other households or nothing like that. So I don't want to outpray my authority, Lord, but in this house today, 
And every day moving forward, I pray that there is no more shame and no more guilt and no more condemnation and no more stigma. I pray that this is a place that when people need help, they can find help. When they need grace, they can find grace. When they need acceptance, they can find arms that are wide open to welcome them in. And if they're well, if they're ready to get help, then we can help them to that. And if they just need a safe place to be for just a minute, that we can be that place for them with no demands and with no expectations. I pray, Lord, that that this is a place where your presence permeates the atmosphere and that cuts through all of the hurts and the trials and the traumas and the difficulties that we've been through. And, Lord, that we can, when people walk in this place, they find you above everything else. Lord, I pray for every person who's hearing me this morning through whatever means they're hearing me. I pray, Lord, that your that your voice your voice cuts through mine and over mine and overpowers mine and as your spirit and your voice speaking directly into their hearts. And I pray that every person who's struggling would find the help that they need. Lord, I just speak healing and peace uh, over their over their lives and over their minds, I pray for their bodies that their that the chemistry of their bodies would would uh, align and balance the way they should. I pray, Lord, that the the um, the the traumatic brain injuries, Lord, would be healed. I pray, Lord, for every physical need to be met and healed, so that mentally they can be more stable as well. Lord, every cause, every root. I pray that you dig it up as they walk back through the way they came. I pray that you'd heal every hurt and every trauma. And Lord, that you would help every person to be on a journey, not just of healing, but of health. Because we know that life still goes on. And we may be perfectly healthy from everything that has happened and not not expecting to face another challenge. I pray, God, that you help us to walk in health and healing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.